Hey, what's up, podcast? Today's episode is with Dr. Vania Manipod, and today our conversation is on burnout. And this is such an important topic and something that a lot of us who work very hard may or have experienced at some point in our lives. So that will be the bulk of our conversation. We also start off with a little bit on child psychiatry. With that said, I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Vania Manipod. I'm a psychiatrist and I practice in Southern California in Ventura, California. I have a holistic way that I like to practice where I, it's not just medication management, but I'm really big on psychotherapy and also overall lifestyle such as uh, physical activity and nutrition as well. So I try to make it so that we address the whole person and that's pretty much how I practice and how I'm trying to break the stigma when it comes to psychiatry because a lot of people assume it's mostly about medications, but I'm hoping to change that. Yes. And for those of you that don't know, Dr. Manny Pod is very active on social media, like most of my guests who are on here. And uh, she's a huge advocate for mental health and self-care and has some very uh, inspirational and helpful helpful advice in her Instagram posts and her social media efforts. Uh, she's kind of like the social media advocate for mental health awareness and for breaking the stigmas that surround mental health. So yeah. I'm honored to have you on with me and I'm super excited because today I just finished my first uh, psych rotation in my first year of residency. So Ooh, I've had the chance to see a lot of really cool, a lot of very sad, actually, things this month because uh, I was on the child and adolescent psych unit, and it's just super depressing, some Mm -hmm. of the stories that I've encountered. Uh, And yeah, so I'm just super curious to talk to you about some of these things. Um, You know, I had it's weird when you transition from working with adults to seeing kids because uh, you're not used to hearing some of these stories coming from such an innocent, you know, individual that's not really aware what happened to them, but they're mm-hmm. just kind of dealing with the brunt of the trauma. Yeah. And so, like, I, I remember speci- there's, without breaking any HIPAA rules or anything, just there's this one thing that's just sticking with me from like my first, my second day on the rotation is just like a young boy and. He experienced some really traumatic sexual abuse and mm-hmm. when he was talking about his story this whole time I'm thinking like how unfortunate that someone so young has to go through something like that and how in the world is like how is that going to impact him for the rest of his life like right. he did nothing wrong he was just born he's like eight years old and all these things happened to him and now for the rest of his life he's going to have to deal with this trauma that was inflicted upon him right. and you know what is his fate is he going to be end up becoming an abuser himself is he going to recover is he going to live a normal life i was just these questions were all just running through my mind and mm-hmm. i guess my question for you is like how does like your childhood mold your psyche how does mm-hmm. that, you know, affect you as you grow older and how big of a part does that play in your in, in your kind of just your mental health and, you know, your life? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, that's a really hard thing to encounter, especially in your first exposure. 
into child psychiatry. Um, I just want to clarify to your listeners that I'm not a child psychiatrist, but I do, this is a great question because I do deal, uh, I do treat a lot of adults who have experienced significant and pretty severe trauma in their childhood. So I get to see a whole spectrum as far as how they can uh, cope with the experiences that they had in their past. So childhood is really important because, I mean, that's when you're going through a huge amount of development. Uh, Kids who experience trauma do have uh, neurodevelopmentally or different uh, parts of their brain when it comes to, you know, emotional regulation and the parts involved with anxiety and those types of things. But you'll see, you know, treating adults, you'll see that there's a lot a lot of adults who can really overcome a lot of those issues that they experienced. You know, they've processed it in therapy significantly. They're able to live normal lives. At the same time, you'll also see the people, the adults who didn't have as much resources growing up where they weren't able to process and overcome those things right away. So they're really burdened by their past and you could see how it continues to impact them and their relationships, you know, their interactions with their children. But I do want people to have hope that if they really work on these things and they are able to find a good support system and in treatment that they can overcome them. Yeah, that was a big thing that I wondered, and I just wondered how much hope does this kid have? Because, I mean, as me and my attending, we talk about, we were talking about these things after, and we're, I'm just thinking, like, is there any hope for this kid? Does, like, if he gets the best therapy in the world, if he gets all this amazing treatment, like, what are what are his chances of, you know, leading a normal life? Mm-hmm. And that was just, like... I'm even curious to hear from you what you think, like just, you know, having support, having all the best therapy that you can possibly have. Can you fully recover from that? Well, I don't know percentages necessarily, and I don't really know if there are percentages. Uh, I mean, that's an excellent question because you'll have examples of people in the public eye, such as celebrities, like the one in um, Lincoln Park, Chester Bennington, you know, he experienced a lot of trauma growing up and he he has access to all his resources and a lot of people may not be able to overcome them just because they perhaps they have significant depression as a result of it. It's kind of hard to answer. And I know you I know people want specifics and that's something in psychiatry that we can't necessarily give. Totally. I think the only thing you can do is to just just try and provide as much support as possible and sometimes you'll see success and sometimes there's still risk of outcomes that won't be ideal so I mean I wish I could but that's how psychiatry is unfortunately is that we don't know it's really individualized yeah I think what I noticed most was just you know and constantly encountering kids you know seeing 10 to 15 kids a day every day for a month I just saw this pattern that these kids just all craved love and Mm -hmm. it was just love that they never got from you know their family or from their mother or from their father and uh, I thought I saw that as a really big uh, it was never discussed as the problem but I just saw that like if these kids had that love and support and like were in a loving home 
they would never have these problems. And of course, yeah. you know, the abuse and, and all that coupled with it just makes everything way worse. Um, and that's why, like, you know, we try to get them into foster care homes and things like that with parents that try to really give them that love and care. And sometimes, once in a while, they'll get really lucky and they'll find a foster parent who is very loving and caring. And so sometimes, like, I did notice, okay, you know, maybe they do have some hope. Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, that's one thing that's associated with better outcomes is the amount of support that you have. If more kids were provided that, then we would probably have a lot more um, positive outcomes and more more hope as far as their recovery. Yeah. So I, one of the big things you talk about on social media, I guess just kind of moving on now, um, is uh, mental health, you know, depression, anxiety, and burnout. Burnout mm -hmm. is a big topic that we talk about. And, um, you know, as people in the medical profession, you know, we see this, you know, mental health is very important to us because it's something that, you know, we either all know someone who's dealing with it or we're going to deal with it ourselves sometime because we're in a stressful career. And uh, I guess, can you talk to us a little bit about this whole, you know, stigma around depression and you know, addressing it and talking about it. The stigma in the medical field or just in general? Just in general, just in general, you know, just with people not wanting to get help or feeling like, you know, if they talk about their depression or if they acknowledge it, that it's frowned upon. Well, I think one of the biggest issues is that um, mental health just isn't mis it's misunderstood. Yeah. So if... I feel like it's hard for people to wrap their head around that perhaps depression is something that's genetic. Because I think oftentimes people feel like, well, why can't you just get up out of bed? Why can't you just motivate yourself? Mm -hmm. And unless you've experienced it yourself, or maybe you have a loved one or something, someone you're really close to that you've actually observed and witnessed, I, I think it's hard for someone to understand. Yeah. And you, even for me, in my training, it wasn't until I actually saw it for myself, um, but also when I experienced it myself, because I'm pretty open about yeah. my experience with depression and burnout, it, it truly wasn't until I experienced it myself that I was able to fully understand how hard it is to just bounce back and try and recover from it and I'm pretty resilient so for for me to see myself even struggle with something like this mm -hmm. actually that is truly what changed and opened my eyes to what others experience and, and that probably makes I, you uh, a much better psychiatrist oh yeah definitely I I have way more empathy for the whole treatment process and what our patients have to go through to even be taken seriously by just the general, not just the general, um, it's the general population, but even the medical and mental health population. I feel like it's hard because even some uh, clinicians in, or medical professionals and mental health professionals, I think it's hard for us sometimes to fully understand the individual experience that all of our patients are going through. Yeah. So the closest could be if you actually experienced it yourself. And I think that's why stigma continues to exist. I think a lot of us just don't understand it. Or maybe a lot of us don't want to understand and empathize with it because it's really hard to see someone go through it. I think if people try to understand and put themselves in 
the shoes of someone who's experiencing mental illness, I think that that's when stigma would start to go away. Yeah. What's your best piece of advice for someone struggling with depression and is just kind of afraid to, you know, seek treatment for the fear of being, you know, stigmatized or criticized or whatever it may be? Mm -hmm. Uh, The best advice, I think I would hope that most of us have that one person that we trust. I think the hardest part is being open about the fact that we're struggling. And I think if we could reach out to that one person to ask for help and say, hey, you know, I'm actually really struggling and I don't know what to do. I I would hope that that person would feel comfortable enough to support them to see a mental health professional or to seek further support. But really the first step is actually being open about it. Part of it is also if the general population was became better at identifying some of these symptoms in our loved ones, I feel like that may alleviate some of the fear Mm-hmm. that uh, individuals experience as far as whether or not to be open about their symptoms. Right. Right. So somebody sitting at home, you know, and, and experiencing depression, what are the first steps they should take after they, you know, talk to a friend or, uh, you know, confined in someone? Should they see a psychiatrist first and should they then seek therapy or should they mm-hmm. start exercising or should they start doing some other things? You know, what are the next steps? Yeah, I, and I get that this question a lot is what is the first thing? Who who do I go to? And really it could be anybody, oh, any professional. So whether that's a primary care uh, a general practitioner or a therapist or a psychiatrist, either way, that person is trained to figure out, you know, who would be the best resource for them at that time. So it's just important to go to one of them. Mm-hmm. So if they went to a therapist and the therapist felt the symptoms were more severe and needed to be seen by a psychiatrist, then they would at least direct them. But the first step is to actually just go to one of them because mm-hmm. oftentimes it's hard to find a psychiatrist or sometimes even a therapist who's easily available right away. So sometimes the general practitioner is the first option. Yeah. So whoever they can get in contact with first, I would say that's the first step. Perfect. And uh, I guess moving on past that, what are some steps they could do? There is a lot of research around like exercising, you know, eating healthier and you being someone who practices, who has a holistic perspective, you know, can you start doing that right away to start to try and make yourself feel better? Or is that, is that just too hard to do while you're depressed? So in depression, there's a spectrum as far as how severe depressive symptoms are. So if someone is still able to have the motivation enough to be able to try and exercise or, you know, go to the gym, exercise, try and modify uh, diet or modify their lifestyle, if they still have that uh, motivation and energy within them to do it, then perhaps they're more on the mild spectrum and can try those things. And if those things don't help, then the next step would obviously be to see a professional. But I, I, again, I also get questions from people who don't know, like, is the, am I a mild case? Am I a moderate case? And mm-hmm. I don't expect them to know. So I, I feel like as, as important as lifestyle interventions and changes are, if someone's not sure, the first step is to seek a uh, professional. Absolutely. And for people that, I guess I kind of want to bring this up because in case anyone's listening who may be feeling depressed or suicidal or having 
uh, bad thoughts. I, I want to address the, the topic of impulsivity. From what I've heard and from what I've seen from patients is that there's this real impulsiveness, especially among men, to act on the way you're feeling and do something really harmful. And I want to just, if anybody's listening, I really want to encourage you to, to really know that what you're feeling, it's not going to last and that you will get through it. And I you know, really want to drive that point and to just, you know, have some hope, even though you have, you see no hope in front of you right now and to focus on, you know, just addressing it and going and seeing somebody and getting help because there are a lot of people that want to help you and there are so many people that can help you. And so you have to just realize that and not act on your impulsivity and just to, you know, there's a suicide hotline that you can call for immediate help and, um, you know, you can always go straight to the hospital if you feel like you're going to harm yourself or others. Yes, that's so important is that you're right. A lot of suicide uh, completion or attempts are very impulsive. And if you'll ask, you know, a lot of survivors of suicide will say that they regretted doing it. Oh, yeah. So... Who's that one guy on Instagram? Uh the guy that Kevin jumped Hines. off, yeah, that guy. Yeah, so he Kevin jumped. Kevin Hines. Mm-hmm. I'll let you talk about him. You probably know a lot more of his story than I do. Yeah, we follow each other on social media, um, and I follow his story a lot because um, he's such a big advocate, and he puts himself out there in hopes of saving just you know one person. So for people who don't know, so he's so this guy, Kevin Hines, he jumped off of a bridge. Uh, mm-hmm. the Golden Gate, the yeah. Golden Gate Bridge, and he was one of you know the very very few people who have ever survived jumping mm-hmm. off that bridge. And he talked about how the second that he let go of jumping off the bridge, it was just instant instant regret. Right, and that was so powerful when he said that because. There have been so many other survivors who have jumped from other places and they've all said the same thing that it's just been instant regret the second you let go. He described, you know, landing in the ocean and just feeling the, well, sorry, what was it, the river? And mm-hmm. uh, just feeling like the most excruciating pain he's ever felt in his life and the people who were saving mm-hmm. him, who, you know, who were just shocked that he was alive. It's just an incredible story. and So I'll let you just finish up on I just wanted to kind of give people who don't know him an introduction. To oh, him. yeah. No, that's great. Yeah. Anybody who hasn't, just look him up. <laughs> yeah. And you'll find his His name videos. is Kevin, Kevin Hines. Hines, yes. Yeah. So uh, there, there's a lot of survivors out there who advocate, and he's, he's, he's one of them, trying to give people hope those who are suicidal to show that it's possible to uh, overcome it and to want to live after uh having experienced such severe depression yeah so um i forgot what the question was though (laughs) yeah well i i I don't know either but he just (laughs) he's just super we just wanted to talk about yeah but that's just an example of somebody who acted on acted on impulsiveness and you know instantly regretted it because that was just his brain playing tricks on him he was not you know you know nobody want uh, a lot of these patients we see in the hospital, uh, they say once they start getting better, they say, I don't want to die. But they're right. afraid of feeling like they're going to die or like they're going to kill right. themselves. But they don't want to die. That's not the, 
you know, I think people sometimes are confused and think that these people want to die all the time. No, it's they just sometimes want to die when they're really, really depressed. And right. that's just their brain trying to cope with the pain that they're feeling inside. Yes, yes. Um, a lot of people who feel uh, suicidal say that, or perhaps have had an attempt, will say that they just wanted to end the pain. Yeah. Because depression is very painful, and I feel like that's something that a lot of people just don't understand how painful the disease is. Um, and my patients all the time, when they say that they don't want to, um, they don't want to live anymore. Um, I always have to remind them that that's their depression. That's the depression talking, and um, that I will help them and support them to fight through it. Yeah. So I'm wondering, any have, have you experienced any patients or many patients who have attempted to hurt themselves and then later regretted it because maybe they had acted out of some impulsivity? Yeah, well, when I'm uh, talking to my patients, I often ask them whether they truly wanted to, wanted to die or if they just were trying to alleviate some pain. So I would say majority of them tell me that they wanted to alleviate their pain in the moment. Um, so a lot of them will say that they regret it and that that's how a lot of people feel. Mm -hmm. So, because if they're coming into my office and I'm able to talk to them about it, um, they do want help. So it, it, it already shows me that they're trying to get better. And during those moments when they tried, they mm -hmm. were really in a lot of pain. And some, for some people it's, um, uh, it, it's kind of an, um, an eye-opening for them mm -hmm. because then they see, you know, there's people that were really worried about them, people that really care about them and how much it impacted other people. And I think in those depressed moments, severely depressed moments, they aren't able to see that until they are able to get past uh, that attempt. Right. Okay. And so what are the next steps after that patient sees you and, you know, They've told you that. Are they? Are you recommending they get therapy? And how does therapy kind of? How does therapy help them? Oh yeah, I recommend therapy to everybody pretty much, mm -hmm. just because having a therapist, a good therapist that they connect well with, allows them to not just treat the superficial, like not superficial, but you know, the symptoms. So, for example, someone might say they're anxious, or someone might say they're depressed, but figure out what are the underlying reasons why. So they're able to delve deeper as far and gain more insight as far as why, what led them to feel this way. And therapy has been shown to help depression, help anxiety uh, significantly. And even disclosure, disclosure of our own issues has been shown to help. So just being able to open up about it instead of suppressing it and feeling so isolated mm -hmm. is helpful for anybody, which is why I recommend therapy all yeah. the time. I've never, I'm, I've, I've never really understood what goes on in therapy. And I've kind of just want, I'm, I guess maybe you could answer this for me. Um, it, it, like, what kind of things do you talk about, or what kind of things are addressed? Like, how does that kind of conversation go? How does it make right. you feel better? Right. Uh, there, I think there's a common misconception that after maybe like the first or second session, you're supposed to feel better, but that's not how it is. Therapy is really like a journey or a process. Mm -hmm. 
And before you start feeling better, you actually experience a lot of pain. It's painful to some right. degree. and Because you're I can, uncovering a bunch of stuff that maybe you didn't realize. Yes, exactly. Okay. A lot of things that you've suppressed perhaps since your childhood. Right. And um, sometimes, well, actually, yeah, oftentimes to overcome it, those are some things that need to be processed. Obviously, it's important with a professional because you don't want to just uncover these things so quickly that you're not able to cope with it. Uh, a trained professional will be able to bring these things out um, at your comfort level and what's appropriate um, and what's therapeutic. Once those things are usually, once those painful things from our past are usually processed, then we don't carry it around so much with us. Because I think people don't realize how much um, there's a lot of stuff in our subconscious or our unconscious that continues to impact us in our present life. Uh-huh. So there, there's various schools of therapy and some of them will be, you know, trying to change our negative thought patterns. That's like cognitive behavioral therapy. Some of them delve deeper into like childhood and early relationships. And that's like psychoanalytic psychotherapy. It's just there's various different kinds. But either way, it it's to gain more insight and self-awareness as far as our symptoms so that we're better able to cope. Mm-hmm. And so what kind of therapy would you recommend for, you know, I guess is I guess my a better question would be is anybody is can anybody go to therapy even if they're not feeling depressed? Oh yeah. Sometimes it's beneficial just to have a neutral um like a person who doesn't really know you and someone who's trained to be able to listen to you and hear you out and what you're you know, maybe you're having some concerns about, you know, what you want to do in your career or, you know, like maybe you're having some relationship issue. You have a trained professional there that can help you give, gain more insight and clarity. Mm-hmm. So you don't, that's a common misconception too, is that you have to be depressed. You have to have mental illness. Yeah. You have to be, you know, struggling significantly. Yeah. Um, and that's not the case. Therapy is pretty much for everybody. Yeah. Is therapy covered by insurance or is that more of a something you have to just pay for out of pocket? Therapy is covered by insurance, though there's certain mental health professionals who don't take insurance. Okay. Um, so, but for the most part, therapy is covered. Oh, okay. Good. Well, that's good mm-hmm. to know. Yeah. I'm thinking about trying it out sometime, seeing what I can uncover in this bald yes. dome that's of awesome. mine. I'm in therapy. It's <laughs> the best thing ever. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's some things that I could probably work out myself. Um, We all have stuff we can work on. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, So I guess my next topic, I want to move into burnout because this is something that a lot of people struggle with without even knowing it. I I know for sure, looking back a year ago, I was totally burned out last year. I wanted Mm -hmm. to quit medicine. I wanted to go start a new career. And I was like having thoughts of like, you know what, like this, this career is exhausting. And as much as I like science and medicine, I think I've had enough. And mm-hmm. this, like now looking back, like now that I'm in residency and I'm really enjoying what I'm doing and I feel like I have some, I feel like I'm doing what I want to be doing now. I, I realized how irrational my thoughts were last year and it was totally burnout. I was mm-hmm. definitely burned out from, you know, board exams and all these exams we constantly had and requirements and mm-hmm. uh, just a lot going on last year for me. Um, and I definitely, st- I, I didn't know I was going through that at the time and I wasn't depressed. 
I just was, you know, jaded, I guess. But mm-hmm. it was burnout. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. I, and I guess my question to you is, so you do, uh, you kind of uh, advocate for people who are going through burnout and you talk about self-care and um, I guess just starting out, how do you recognize this, the signs of burnout? Yeah, well, the, the, hard, the hardest part is that a lot of us don't know how to identify it. And even for myself, being a psychiatrist, when it was happening to me, I wasn't able to identify it. So I always tell people that because they always feel like I should have known. I should have been able to pick up on it. I'm like, I'm a psychiatrist and I couldn't even notice notice it in myself. You yeah, know? yeah, I had no idea. Uh, yeah, and that's, par- that's part of what's the burnout. Funny, <laughs> what's funny is that somebody I was talking to last year, uh, it was actually, it was funny, it's actually, it was actually Dr. Khan and I was talking to her oh. and I was saying, you know, like, yeah, I don't think, I, I think, I, I don't know if I'm going to continue on for after, maybe I'll do a year of residency and I'll mm-hmm. just do my own thing after. And she was like, oh, you poor baby, you're burned out. And I'm like, no, I'm not burned out. I just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we're like us. No, like me, no way. Yeah. And now I'm like, yeah, I was totally burned out. Yeah, but when it comes to trying to identify it in yourself, um, that is part of it, is that you just have this diminished sense of accomplishment, where even though this is something you've been you've been working all your life and you you it's been your goal and something that you think you know you imagine yourself doing and that you're good at, you just start to feel like you know what everything I've done it's like worthless. That's one of them, and the physical and emotional exhaustion. Uh, a lot of times we'll think, you know, we sh- we should feel this way because it shows we're working hard towards our goal. But no, if you're so emotionally and physically depleted that it's really hard for you to function, uh, that's that's a warning sign. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know we'll try and find, you know, maybe other reasons why we might feel that way. But if it persists and it's not getting better, even in vac- after vacation, then that's that's the more clear. Mm-hmm. sign of burnout so let me clarify so number one would be the physical emotional exhaustion number two would be feeling like you just have a diminished sense of accomplishment and number three is if you start to feel like a sense of depersonalization so you're really disconnected with coworkers, disconnected with the people that you work with um you just don't really care yeah. anymore mm-hmm. um people will experience that just as part of work, but if you're the the real hallmark is if it's not getting better after a vacation or after a normal recovery time, which for some people might be just like a weekend, then yeah. that's a sign of burnout. Yeah, I think for yeah. me it manifested as just cynicism uh, mm-hmm. uh, of the of the process of medical school that just destroys you and right. is completely unhealthy and. I, I think that uh, that cynicism towards it just yes last year just was at a maximum for me. And, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's I a huge that, part of it. Yeah. That's a significant component of it. I also want to clarify that you know, for for a lot of people, burnout exists on a spectrum also. So some are more on the severe side to the point where you know they can't they can't even work really mm-hmm. like they take uh, extensive time off and I treat a lot of people who end up on medical leave because they they just can't work even though it's maybe someplace that they've worked mm-hmm. for a long time yeah. so 
And I think it's also important to mention that uh, burnout is something that kind of progressively happens. It doesn't just happen just like that, like one day you're fine and then the next day you're burnout. It's kind of a slow progression and that's why you don't notice it and you don't know that you're burned out because yes. it's it's an accumulation it's a slow process where eventually you're just you're burned out so you talk a lot about uh you know steps that we can that we can take to make sure we don't even get there so we make sure we're constantly recalibrating and making sure we're on uh you know on a healthy path mm-hmm. so i guess what are some things to just make sure we're you know on that right path and we're not etching towards burnout mm-hmm. well it, it is hard in medical school and residency, but you know, since I treat a lot of people with various jobs, I say we. The first thing is we have to figure out whether or not we're actually utilizing our vacation time. Some people will say that their last vacation was like a year ago, and I'm thinking, well, yes, you're going to burn out if you haven't had a vacation in like a year. Mm-hmm. So uh, I want to clarify the differences between. So two types of interventions. One would be, you know, more self-directed, more personal type things that we can do. And that would include things like taking a vacation or trying to set better boundaries at work, you know, saying I'm going to leave at this time and I am not going to do further work and go, you know, past my hours and stuff like that or even work at home. So setting boundaries. Super, super important. Yeah. Yes. I can't emphasize boundaries enough. So stuff like that, or talking to our boss and saying, hey, you know, like I'm getting really overwhelmed. Can I maybe take on like one less account or one less project until I get this done? So it's really advocating for ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's more of like the self-directed type personal interventions. But there are some that will require more organizational. So like, for example, someone for like medical students or residents or physicians who are burned out it's been shown that organizational is more effective where it's not placing fault on the med students or the physicians. It's more saying, you know what, like we need to find ways to help physicians as a whole that work for us. Mm-hmm. So whether that's like helping to provide childcare or maybe allowing more time for phone calls or to do notes, you know, there's organizational ways that can be done that can be made to minimize the burnout experience right and what about like we you do this thing called self-care sunday and you Mm -hmm. know every sunday you dedicate it to doing something fun or doing something to take care of yourself i think that's a really cool thing like people i mean we we all need one day to ourselves at least yes i started that actually as a (laughs) reminder for myself because i I feel like I do self-care every day now because yeah. it's become so natural, but I had to start with doing something like self-care Sunday to be mm-hmm. able to just do something for even if it was just five minutes for myself and just getting to the habit of doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> sometimes we need that type of reminder to do something for ourselves. Yeah. Because we're not used to, many of us are not used to it. Yeah. Yeah. I will mention one thing that I've personally done and that's, uh, just recently, I've been I, so I've been learning how to recognize where I'm at on the burnout spectrum. Like if I'm because right now I'm in residency and I'm also doing this podcast and I'm also uh, mm-hmm. you know Instagram blogging and a even lot. on top of that I have other projects that I'm doing too. So I have a I'm taking on a lot at one time, right? And I'm seeing myself 
when I'm getting to that burnout point, I'm recognizing it. And so one of the first things I just did was, it was really something just like so simple, like the most simple thing, but it's made a huge difference for me personally. And that was just like setting that 9 p.m. boundary. And uh, I guess like 9 p.m., I'm done sending emails. I'm done writing my schedules. I'm done doing whatever it is i'm done at nine o'clock and i don't wow. care if the world's burning down i'm done I'll go on my <laughs> it's it's it was really hard like the first week i was like still on it on my uh-huh. like email yeah. and on my website and trying to like edit audio and stuff um but it's gone like i realized setting that boundary has been so important important for me because it's allowed me to kind of wind down at the end of the day Mm-hmm. and just decompress and let that you know let that anxiety just kind of go because i mm-hmm. know oh, okay it's 9 p.m i'm done now and i'm gonna i'm not gonna lie that is something that's not easy to do and i would i i so hard yeah it's not easy to do and there are times where i catch myself working at like 10 o'clock or uh you know trying to set up another podcast or do something uh and then I also got to read up for my cases the next day. So instead, what I'll do, is if I do have something that I need to finish up, I'll just, I'll say I'd rather wake up an hour earlier, even though I'll get less sleep. I'd still rather do that and have my 9 p.m. to mm-hmm. 11 p.m. be my time off. That's great. That is, that's, that's really difficult for a lot of people to do. It but is. But yeah, <laughs> it sounds like the more you've done it, it becomes routine. Mm-hmm. You just get used to that being your time. And I feel like we have to be really proactive if we're going to do stuff like that. But it, that's how important it is. Yeah. And I, it's just, it was an experiment. I literally didn't read this anywhere. I was just like, I want to try this out. And it's uh, it's worked amazing for me. So I guess I'll share this with any of my five. If anybody wants to try, try that out, if you have a busy schedule. That's uh, awesome. Yeah. And uh, I mean, do you have any tips other than you know self-care and things like that that Uh you like to do to prevent burnout I I feel like oftentimes we have to do those types of things like setting the boundaries and trying to make sure that we get a lot of sleep Um, I feel like the first step is just acknowledging that we need to prioritize this Mm -hmm. so I always say because for people who aren't used to it I tell them you have to put it in your schedule like I say, like it is a priority for you to put some type of self-care activity. Yeah. Like, you know, for you, it's like cut it off, cut off everything at nine. You know, like for a lot of people, they have to be very diligent about that. Um, so if it's, it's, it's unique to everybody. Like mm-hmm. everybody has a unique activity that they find works for them. And I, and I encourage everybody to um, just kind of experiment and figure out what works best for them. But it, when it comes to the basics, it's really sleep. You know, at least mm-hmm. for you, when you drop everything at nine, it's easier mm-hmm. for you to sleep at night. Mm-hmm. So one thing leads to another. That just just if you prioritize sleep, and then if you're sleeping better, then you'll want to exercise. You know, you'll have more energy to exercise. Mm-hmm. It's just one doing one thing for yourself can kind of um, lead you to doing more things for yourself. Yeah. So at what point, so let's say, you know, you reach the point of like, you are now officially like you, you gradually progress to full out burnout. What next? Like, do you seek help or do you, do you try to fix it on your own? What do you do? 
So, and this is assuming you've acknowledged that you're experiencing yeah. burnout. Because I think yeah. that's the hardest part for yeah. people. Assuming you've acknowledged daily. Assuming someone's listening right now and they uh-huh. know they are burned out. What's next for them? What do they do? Well, the first step is to, once they've identified it, either seek support. Because a lot of us don't know how to deal with it. So, seeking support. Um, whether being that like a friend or a family member. Yeah, or... like even a friend and being like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. Because I think the hardest part is actually being open about it. Because a lot of people who are burned out will keep it to themselves. Yeah. So the first step is actually to open up and reach out to somebody and say, you know, hey, I'm, I've been struggling. Yeah. Um, and yeah, whether I... that's a mental if I reach out to yeah. one of my friends, it'd be like, dude, man up. You're fine. Oh, <laughs> yeah. See, that's the hard part. And that's why I kind of struggle with the whole seek support thing. Because I think a lot of people just aren't used to it. So say it's somebody who's afraid to reach out. Okay. Yeah. If they're afraid to reach out to somebody, then they could try, you know, the exercise. Like I said, the whole lifestyle thing, the whole boundaries thing. But the problem is when you're so deeply entrenched in burnout and it's severe, sometimes those things just aren't going to work. And that's why I say, you know, like as hard as it is finding that one person you trust. So if your friends are going to say that to you, then you need to find a professional who won't say that to you. Yeah. You know, yeah. sometimes know it works, to be honest. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> well, but it's not exactly the best way. Well, and I want to clarify that too, because if, if it works in that sense, then I don't think that person was necessarily burned out. And like I said, the, the severity of burnout is very severe and I don't want to minimize that experience to someone who's severely burned out. My friends are just assholes. Oh yeah. (laughs) Burnout can mean that somebody is suicidal. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's why I have to strongly emphasize the importance of reaching out to somebody yeah because so, so it, I, I like that you mentioned that so there's a point so i mentioned to you that i felt burned out but i wasn't necess- i didn't know it and i didn't feel the symptoms of depression or anything like that but there is a point so i'm guessing there is a point where it reaches where you're burned out and depressed and you yeah. can feel suicidal and yeah is that still part of the spectrum yeah and i think that's why oftentimes And perhaps it may depend on the severity of the symptoms. Uh, And that's why a lot of people want to eliminate use of the word burnout, because burnout, for some people, they think, okay, you need to, it's like all your fault, Mm -hmm. and you need to fix it. And there's a lot of people that will utilize that term very nonchalantly, whereas some people can be very suicidal as a result of uh, work stress. Yeah, Yeah, we need to be. What was the what was the other term that P- I, I remember seeing somewhere or reading somewhere that, like you mentioned, because people want to take the focus of burnout away from being an individual type thing in more of like the the, the circumstances and the environment that they're in, kind of like yeah. the, under the like putting it as a like putting the focus on like the institutions. Right. I'm guessing. Uh, yeah. What was there was a movement about that? I remember there was another term for it, and I can't remember it. I say the closest term for that is more abuse. <laughs> abuse. Yeah, yes. I think I think that I'm not sure. I think it was something to do with that, and that does seem like a a more appropriate term because it's often a lot of times due to the circumstances and the environment that you know we're we're um, subject to. Yeah, because in a lot of cases, you'll hear a lot of people are. Um, 
given excess responsibilities more than is um, manageable, like significantly more, is just beyond manageable. And that's kind of why there's this um, concern about, for example, physicians, you know, working like 100 hours a week. And um, they're, they're a prime example where the whole burnout tends to be minimized and assuming they're not resilient enough. But, you know, a lot of our responsibilities are quite excessive. And there's a lot of harassment that occurs um, in these organi- on these organizational levels at the healthcare system. So I know it's a whole other thing, but to some degree, yeah, it's a great point. It's considered beyond just um, burnout. It's more look, this is unrealistic. Something needs to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, totally agree to with that. Get rid of this. Yeah. Well, Doctor Manipod, I guess what. What are some last words you would want to tell someone who is struggling with either burnout or mental health or anxiety? I guess, what are some parting words you'd really want to, you know, say to somebody? I know it gets said often, but I really can't emphasize enough the importance of just reaching out to somebody, whether it's texting the crisis text line or something, um, because depression mental illness it it tells us that we're alone it tells us that we're worthless it tells us that we're hopeless burnout in a a huge sense tells us that we're worthless so in order to break and fight that pattern we do have to do something that's very uncomfortable and for many of us that does mean reaching out to somebody i hope it's a good response i hope it's someone who's supportive i hope it's a mental health professional but either way we have to do something to break out of the pattern that we're in. Absolutely. Love that. Love that. Awesome. Thank you, Dr. Manny Pod, so much. You, uh, you know, I love following you on Instagram. I love what you do. Um, and you know, you're so valued in this community and I'm sure you've helped so many, so many people by now. And I hope somebody listening right now, uh, you know, may have, you know, benefited from this and, hopefully learned how to get some help or at least started to think about getting some help if they need it and uh i guess one last thing i like to ask every one of my guests is what does beyond what does beyond medicine mean to you and uh i'm sure you go beyond in so many ways oh yeah i think my immediate thought would be getting past just the biological or medical and clinical and just uh, seeing people in situations for what it is seeing people as actual humans and trying to understand people as unique individuals as not just laboratory or not just a lab not just a medication and not just a disease but as a person I love that and uh, Dr. Manipod how can uh, our followers connect with you where can they follow you and where can they learn more about you Yes, I'm really active on social media, especially Instagram, but you know, I'm at Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, even, and Facebook, and my handle is Freud and Fashion. Freud, and that's spelled F-R-E-U-D. Yes, F-R-E-U-D. And I also have my blog, freudandfashion.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Manipod. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and uh, hopefully we'll get to talk again soon. Thank you for having me on here. Hey podcast, thanks for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope we brought you some practical, good advice that you can apply to your life. Guys, if you could please do us the favor of sharing this, telling people about it, 
leaving us a comment, subscribing. All that will help us grow and will help us spread our message. Also, if you'd like to support our podcast, you can go to our website and click support and it will help us grow this podcast and continue doing what we are doing and bringing you more high quality guests like the one you just heard. Thank you guys. Peace.